Hello, thanks for tuning in to the West Side Podcast. This is where we're going to be posting some of the audio from our gatherings on Sundays, and we're hoping to develop some other content that we're excited to share with you in the future. West Side's vision is to reconcile people to God through the grace of Jesus, step by step. And we really hope that this podcast helps you do just that. We hope it helps you get closer to Jesus. We hope that you would be reconciled to God and not only that, be reconciled to the relationships around you and to the city that you live in, wherever that happens to be. Again, thanks for tuning in and enjoy. We're continuing with our sermon series in the book of Colossians. And as we've said, and like, I think this is our fourth week, maybe fifth week. Um, and really, it, it would take a long, long time to go through the book of Colossians adequately um, because there's so much packed in there. But we're really just, it's going to take us like five or six weeks to do Colossians. And so there's um, big chunks that we're not going to get to. So we've just, I challenged us. I said, hey, why don't you just read Colossians on your own? If you don't know what else to read, maybe if you're like, oh, I'd want to read my Bible. I'm not sure where to go. Just go to the second half. Um, into the New Testament, you'll find Colossians in there, and read Colossians, and uh, and, and and just just put put that on repeat, and you'll just discover like there's just nugget after nugget after nugget in there. Paul is writing to a, a real group of people. Um, all historians historians agree that Paul was a real person. <laughs> that he wrote this letter to the church in Colossae from house arrest. He's in prison, and he's writing them. And he's encouraging them because he hears about some of the things that they're wrestling with, some of the things that, they're, that are plaguing them, some of the things that are, that are frustrating them. And so he's writing them and encouraging them. What I want to talk to you tonight uh, about and what Paul is going to write to the Colossians about, I want to talk to you about holiness. Holiness. Now, listen, I've been a pastor for a long time, and I know that every time somebody like a pastor from the front says, hey, I'm going to talk to you about holiness, there's always this like... <gasps> Oh, he's going to talk to us about holiness. Oh, holy. Like, oh, man, that just seems like so far out of my reach. And it's like, oh, and you think, you know, like people are get nervous when the pastor is going to talk about holiness. And, um, and I promise you that it's not going to look like this. Um, I got a short minute and a half video that's funny that uh, kind of highlights what tonight is not going to be like. All right. So check it out. If I may digress for a moment from my prepared message, I mean it when I say to you, you guys, sometimes you're bad. Don't be jerks. You're supposed to be good. I'm in my office every day and somebody comes in and they're like, hey, whoops. My like, don't! Come on. Dan, what is your deal? If anybody doesn't know, Dan is the worst. I took a vow to not say who was the worst, but it's Dan. You guys are making me look bad in front of God. What's that? Oh, look, it's Jesus. And he said, stop it! The word of the Lord. 
never felt like saying any of those things ever in my life, I promise. I think every pastor fantasizes about a moment like that. <laughs> um, uh, when, when somebody comes up and is gonna talk about holiness, I think we think that we're just gonna get beat over the head with how we're supposed to be holy. And that's not what tonight is gonna look like. Because when Paul is talking about holiness, what he's, what he's trying to, holiness is a really, really deep word. It's a big word to kind of d- dig into and study. But the idea of holiness, one way to think of it is this idea of, of wholeness, of wholeness. That, that like there's something that we all feel that there's, there's something fractured inside. There's something that's off. There's something that's amiss. And so we're all trying to like figure out what's, how do we get, how do I get back to wholeness? How do I get back to, to feeling complete again? How, how do, how do I kind of tap into who I'm actually supposed to be? And if we could actually like experience that and do that, then we could say that we feel, we feel whole. We could, we feel whole. And the Bible, one of the ways that the Bible describes the idea of holiness is that we would, that it's this completeness, it's this wholeness. Um, when I was in high school, I was going to a four-score church up in, up in the Seattle area, and um, I remember this one time I was at youth group. We were at youth group, and the band was playing, and it was, everybody was kind of worshiping and, and, uh, and singing, and my friend Bobby was sitting a couple seats down from me in the same row. And we look over at Bobby and Bobby, instead of standing like everybody else, he's sitting down and he's kind of like slumped over and he's a little bit like this. And we like, look at him, we're like, is Bobby okay? And then, you know, and then uh, we're thinking, and we had just gotten back from camp, I think. So we had like a really high, like kind of spiritual camp experience. And we look over at Bobby and we were like, oh, our diagnosis of the issue was that Bobby was like having a Holy Spirit moment. We're thinking like he's like connecting with the spirit at this point and he's just having like a sweet Holy Spirit moment. So we're like, oh, wow, Bobby, he's like slain in the spirit. Wow, you know, this is so cool. So we all get around Bobby and Bobby's like this. And we're like, and we're praying, Bobby, you know, just Lord speak to him and just like come. And, and, you know, and we pray for like 10 minutes over Bobby. And then we get done praying and we look at Bobby and Bobby's still like this. And what we didn't know was Bobby was actually in a diabetic coma. He had slipped into this like this thing, this, and he actually needed medical attention and we didn't know. So after a while of looking at Bobby like this, um, we called the paramedics and they came and they helped Bobby. Hey everybody, Bobby's fine. All right, Bobby's okay to this day. Um, But what's funny is if you don't understand what the problem is, you're not gonna be able to come up with the correct solution, right? Uh, My whole point with that little story is that obviously if we misdiagnose what the issue is, then we're not going to be able to have the the, the right response to it. And as we look to our world today, I think everyone is very, very aware that something is, something's in us is broken, that we are not whole, that there's something wrong. Our culture just looks at everything and we like to point fingers at the reason why it's this and the reason why it's this. But really all of us, our culture just looks and says, wow, this, things aren't right. Things aren't as they should be. Like things, something needs to happen. And so we come up with all sorts of different diagnoses for why that's the case. And we come up with all sorts of prescriptions for like how we're going to become whole again, how we're gonna be, how I'm gonna finally like, like tap into who I truly was created to be. And we come up with all these different ideas. Um, it's been that way from the beginning of time. It is the age old question. How do I get to wholeness? And we could go through just like philosopher after philosopher after philosopher. We could go to Plato. Remember Plato? You learned about him um, in school. Plato believed that the way that we get to wholeness is that the physical part of us is bad. The spiritual part of us is good. And so anything that brings pleasure, anything fun, 
You know, anything that like that has to do with our bodies, you just repress that, push that down, don't acknowledge it. But anything that's like spiritual, like you want to you want to build that up. And he said that that's that's how you get to wholeness. And then you've heard about Sigmund Freud, right? We had to learn about him as well. And Sigmund Freud, as a modern thinker, comes in and says, oh, no, no, that's not the diagnosis. The issue is, is that we're created good, but our but our society and our families kind of like wreck us and, and break us. And so we need to get back to that like inner child that like pure person before it was tainted by the world. And so he says, you know, what you got to do is tap into the id and the ego and, you know, you need to get down into there. And if you can just, if you could just unlock the, some, some of those things, then ah, you're going to get to wholeness. And then that leads us to our present day picture of what holiness or wholeness is about. And what our present sort of modern culture says is if you want to be whole, if you want to be holy, if you want to be made right with, with yourself, well, then you just need to follow your feelings. Then you need to follow your vision for what happiness looks like. And if you just listen to your feelings and if you just follow your feelings, if you just follow your heart, if you just do all those sort of things, then, ah, that's the ticket. Now you're going to be whole again. You're going to be complete. And certainly the Colossians, they had, they, they were getting pulled in all sorts of different directions. Different voices were coming into their midst and saying, oh, you know, here's how you get whole is you need to follow these rules. Here, oh, here's how you get whole. You need to like have a special spiritual experience. All right, here's how you get whole. You need to get special knowledge. Like I have special knowledge. And they were getting pulled in all sorts of different directions. But in comes Jesus with a different vision for what wholeness looks like. Jesus steps in and not only does Jesus have the right diagnosis for your problem and for my problem and the world's biggest problems, that not only does he diagnose it accurately, but he comes in and actually gives the solution that we are searching for and that you're longing for. The wholeness that you are looking for, the wholeness that the world is searching for, we find it in Jesus. All other avenues that we think is going to get us to wholeness is actually going to leave us as broken as ever. It's going to leave us dry and empty. And people are trying to pull the Colossians away. And so Paul has to write them and he has to remind them. He has to remind them of what they get in Christ. That He has to remind them of how you truly get Whole. And so I'm going to invite Christy to come up and, uh, and she's going to read this passage of scripture. And I think your microphone's right over there. Um, and uh, what, what she's going to read this, this next section of the, the, the letter uh, that Paul is writing to the Colossians. And it's a big, big section. It's a big chunk. Is, is it okay if we read some scripture tonight? Is that all right? Is anybody going to have a problem with this? Um, well, she's going to read a big section of scripture and, uh, and then we're going to unpack it. And let's just, just follow that thread that Paul is just trying to help remind them what does wholeness look like? Well, good afternoon. I'm Christy Rice. I'm one of the pastors here and leading one of our Westside small groups this fall. Um, it's an honor to read today's scripture to you, and it's a long one, but it's from Paul's letter to the Colossians in chapter 1, verses 21 through 23, and then we'll go on to chapter 2, verse 9 through chapter 3 in verse 17. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death, to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from hope held out in the gospel, 
This is the gospel that you heard and that you have been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole life ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us. It condemned us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They're puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They've lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. So since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual for forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such, regu such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, and malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to one another, since you have taken off your old self along with its practices, put on, and you've put on your new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there no, is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all. Christ is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dear loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with one another, forgive each other. If any of you has a grievance against someone, 
forgive as God forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, since as members of one body, you were called to peace and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, through songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts together. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is God's word. It's incredible. There's so many things in there. I just, I just wanted to have all of that read. And, and picture, like, this letter would have been delivered to the church in Colossae, and then somebody would have stood up just like this and, and read it to the church. It's pretty cool that that's how they experienced it too, just, just a letter written by, by Paul. But I just want to focus in on the very first few verses that Christy read because I feel like in, in this verse, there's, something so, there's, there's a few things so huge. It's, it's, it goes like this. Christy just read it. It says, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, that there was this brokenness, that we weren't whole, that, there was, that we were like disconnected from him, that something needs to happen. We need to be reconciled to him. And so what happens? But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Listen to that. Through his physical body, through death, he wanted to present you and I holy, holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Okay, a couple couple promises in here that are just phenomenal. Like if we were just just to really like take this in and just bring it in and just really believe it, not just like talk about it, but really believe it. I mean, it's so, so powerful. Here's just a couple promises that we see all throughout here. First, one of the promises that when we put our faith in Jesus, because what he did for us on the cross, it was he, he paid for, he paid that the penalty that we deserve because of our sinfulness, because of our, these hearts that just want to be God instead of letting God be God himself, that that brings death. And so that was on us. But instead of it being on us, Jesus placed himself in our place. It's called substitutionary atonement, that he atoned for our sin by putting himself in our place. And because that all came crashing down on him, suddenly now, in this like beautiful turn of events that nobody saw coming, that we get to be free. We're free. And not only that, but then a few days later, Jesus rises from dead and not only just gives us, gives us freedom from the penalty of our sins, but now he gives us this, this resurrection life that he has, that he extends to all of us. It's an invitation. This idea of being holy, this isn't, uh, this isn't maybe you grew up in a church or experienced a message like this of like, come on, people. Where's Dan? He's the worst. Dan is the worst. <laughs> like, you gotta be holy. You know, you gotta be holy. Like, come on, like, step it up. You know, like, what's wrong? But no, no, no. Here's what's beautiful is because of what Jesus has done for us, it's this, this holiness is like a free gift. It's bestowed onto us. How in the world? I mean, the, these promises are incredible. What are they? The first is this. The first I see that we are given a new identity. We're given a new identity. It says now he's been rec- we've been reconciled um, to, to God. Um, what, is, what does it mean to have a new identity? Um, one of the language, the, some of the language that you're going to see scattered around this whole passage is the language of adoption. It's the language of adoption. 
Um, I have an adopted sister. I remember um, this was back when um, when you could you could, at the airport when you could go down and just stand right outside where people were coming out of uh, of the planes. Remember those days? Um, this was back then, and I remember I was seven years old. And we were at the airport and we had waited hours and hours and hours because we were adopting a little girl from Korea. And as a seven-year-old, I was like, I knew what was going on, but I didn't really know what was going on. You know, I was like, we're getting a new sister. You know, like I knew this, but, you know, it still hadn't clicked yet. And I remember like just, just seeing, seeing this, this gal from Holt International walk, walk down the, the, the way with this, which is this little baby. She was four months old. And like, and, and the adoption, it was, and it was, and it was done. Like, this is my sister. And, um, you know, we, we, uh, we, we joke because my sister's from Korea and our last name is Rice. I don't know like how that all happened, you know, and, you know, but it's like a funny family joke, whatever. But you know what? My sister, Courtney is, is she's Korean. She's, she's not like blood related to me, but you know what? She's blood related to me. You know how that works? Like, that's how adoption works. It's like, there, there's like not, some, I, I, in fact, I was thinking about talking about her being adopted and I thought, and I was thinking like, I haven't thought of her being adopted in forever because I don't even think like that. She is my sister. And isn't that crazy that something happens where she was born in this family and yet like through some crazy turn of events, now she's like 100% in, 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 and she, I'm in her family and she's in my family, that she's my sister. Isn't that crazy? Like something happens. It makes me think of one of the most famous parables that Jesus tells is the parable of the prodigal sons. Remember, there's two sons, both are lost. One is lost in his rebellion. The other is lost in his pride. Let's not forget that. But oftentimes it's referred to as the parable of the lost son because there's this younger son and he wants to go take his father's inheritance and just go, you know, just blow it all on, you know, go to Vegas and blow it all. And he's in Vegas and I added the Vegas part, by the way, that's not in the scriptures, okay? Um, but he's in Vegas and he, you know, he's, he's spent all of his money and he's looking at this like dried up piece of fried chicken from KFC and this is the only thing that he has to eat and he's like, what am I doing here? Like I could be back at home and I could, I could be a son at home and I just blew it all away. And so he decides to go home, but he, start, he decide, he's coming up with his, with his speech, his groveling speech. And you guys remember the story? I mean, you remember what happens? I mean, it's, it's one of the most beautiful moments where Jesus is trying to explain to us what this looks like, that we, you and I are given a new identity. When we say, Jesus, I wanna make you like my Lord and King, Something happens where now the father comes and does the father have a speech prepared? No. Does the father like say, where's my money? You owe me. Is the father trying to get him back or is the father just so glad that he's back? I mean, the father's so glad he runs out. What does he do? He's got the robe. He says, you're my son. He gives him his ring back, puts the sandals back on his feet. No, no, no. I'm not going to treat you like a slave. You're not going to be a slave in this house. You ha are and always have been my son. And isn't it crazy that the father looks at you? The father looks at me. And he knows exactly what you've done. He knows exactly what you, he, I mean, here's what's crazy is he knows you better than you know yourself. He knows you down to the very depths of your being and yet he loves you to the very top of who you are. That is a miracle. 
That is that adoption thing that literally like it makes us walk in this new identity. Not only do we have a new identity, but here's also what we get. We, we are given a new holiness, given a new holiness. Isn't this crazy? That it says that he is gonna present you holy in his sight. Chapter three, verse 12 says, therefore, as God's chosen people, what? Holy, holy and, and dearly loved. Um, this one, I just wanna spend a moment on because I feel like this is really pertinent to our culture today. This is such good news that the holiness that we get given to us from our heavenly father is permanent, it's stable, it doesn't flit and flutter away, even based on, based on what we do or, or, or God changing his mind. It is this beautiful holiness that he wraps us in. It's not our holiness, make no mistake. You are not holy, I'm not holy. And yet, at the same time, because of what Christ has done, he wraps us in his holiness. This is insane. This is crazy. We are given holiness. Now listen, every culture has its own modes of holiness and righteousness. So you go to any culture on the planet and all cultures have like certain social cues that you have to abide by so that you can be seen as holy and righteous. Think about, um, think about different, um, have you traveled to different countries and you'll notice that there's different like uh, table manners in different countries. There are some things that are acceptable in the United States that aren't acceptable other places. Like in, in the US, it's totally fine to like completely clear your plate of food, okay? Just like clear it, lick the bottom of it, you know? Like you can do that here. I guess, in some establishments. Um, but, uh, but in China, you don't want to completely empty your plate because that communicates to the host that, that, uh, that they didn't give you enough. And so you always like want to leave like a little bit left. And, you know, in the United States, it's probably not appropriate to like slurp your, your food. But in Japan, that's, that's like, that's a signal that you're really enjoying the food. In fact, in fact, the louder you slurp, the, it's, 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 it's better, you're, you're communicating that you love it even more. I mean, you can go to different cultures and there's different like kind of social cues for what's acceptable at the table. But just like that, you can go to any culture and any, and not just at country, but people group, even sections of the country. And there's a different narrative for like what's acceptable like what makes you holy? Like what makes you, what makes you acceptable to the group? And so we, all of us do this. You kind of have to like read between the lines. You kind of have to try to like figure out like, okay, what, how do I belong here? You know, how, we've all had a friend group that you try to get into. And so you kind of have to understand, okay, how do I belong to this group? Um, and so it's, it's, all cultures have that. And even during the, during, uh, at the height of the pandemic, and even now I was, I was um, talking with another Foursquare pastor from La Grande, Oregon. And this was like, this was like a year and a half ago. And we, it was when all the masking stuff was going on and it was really heavy and everybody was talking about it. Like, what are churches gonna do? Should we have, wear masks or not? And, uh, and, you know, and we had decided like, hey, we're, we're, just, we're just gonna follow that mandate. We're, gonna, we're just gonna, we're gonna do that. And so I was talking with this other pastor in Legrand, and it's so interesting, just like, it's like night and day difference. The culture in Legrand, Oregon and the culture in Eugene, Oregon. Just night and day, you know? Because in Eugene, I was explaining to him, I was like, in Eugene, like most church, like every church that I know for the most part, except maybe two churches that I know of, we're all wearing masks, like it's kind of the norm. Um, if you're, if you're a church that's not wearing a mask here in Eugene, then you're kind of like the outlier, you know, like, like, ah, but in Legrand, guess what it is the other way around in Legrand, like most churches out there are like, we're Legrand, you know, like we're not wearing masks. And there was a couple churches in town that said, Hey, you know what? We're, we're going to follow this, this mandate. And it's just interesting that like, you can just go to two, two cities in the same state and the cute, like what kind of like 
what we're supposed to do in order to kind of be righteous, to be holy, um, is, was different between those two different places. Um, you know, we, we've all experienced this, is you want to kind of determine what is the right kind of behavior. Um, in order to ex- be accepted to a group, you have to use a certain kind of hashtag. You have to support the right candidate. Um, you have to kind of like figure out how to be accepted and how to be holy and how to be whole and how to, and how to kind of adjust your behavior. And the problem with this is you always have to perform. You always have to perform. You always kind of have to get it right. Because one wrong move, one bad tweet, one bad Instagram post, one talk tick instead of a tick tock, you know, or like whatever it is, like one false move. And, and suddenly like, nope, you're out, canceled, canceled, canceled. Because, oh, no, we don't do that here. And so there's this constant pressure in our culture to perform, constant pressure to be holy, constant pressure to figure out what, it, what do I need to do to be holy and righteous. It's funny that people think that only church people talk about holiness. No, 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 everyone. You turn on, you turn on your Facebook, you turn on Instagram, you turn on any sort of social media, everybody's talking about holiness. Everybody's got a version for what holiness means. And so the question isn't, are you going to try to be holy? The question is, who are you going to give authority to in your life to determine what holiness is? And are you going to try to conform to that in order for you to, be, to, to, to like fit into whatever group that you want to fit into? Everybody's trying to be holy. And everybody's got a version of it. Jesus is the only one that comes in and says, I've got a holiness that I give to you that you don't have to earn. Jesus is the only one that comes in and says, I'm going to give you my holiness so you don't have to live your life just like constantly just wondering, am I, am, am I enough? Have I done enough? Am I good enough, God? Have I performed well enough for you? Jesus says, no, you don't have to do that with me. Because guys, it's exhausting trying to drum up your own holiness. It's exhausting. And Jesus comes and says, I've got a vision for holiness that I'm giving to you for free. Is it free? Well, no, it cost him everything. But to us, he gives it to us. It's incredible. He gives us a new kind of holiness. Next, he gives us a new kind of life. He gives us a new kind of life. Chapter two, verses nine says, having been buried with him in baptism, in which we were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. He's given us this picture of rebirth, of new life, of resurrection life. This is why water baptism is such a big deal. This is why one of the one of the very at the very beginning Christian churches would baptize people in water. Why? Because it's this beautiful symbol of what takes place when you follow Jesus. That like you go down into the water and it represents death. It represents burial. Like the old me like the old me that just didn't understand the goodness and the greatness and the majesty of God, the old me is going down into the grave. I'm just gonna just, I'm gonna die to that old me. And then when I come up out of the water, it's like resurrection life, baby. You know, it's just like come out. And it's like, just like Jesus rose from the dead. Now I'm coming out of the water. I'll always remember my very first baptism that I ever did. I was a college kid and I was at Eugene Faith Center. It was a Friday. Nobody was on, nobody, none of the pastors were on, were around that day. It was just me. I was just a college kid. And somebody comes in, one of the, one of the janitor people came in and said, Hey, there's this gal. She's getting shipped off into the military. She's leaving tomorrow and she wants to get baptized. 
Like, is there somebody here that can do it? And I was thinking like, oh man, like I'm gonna call George Bomer, you know, like I'm gonna call, like there's, there's gotta be somebody I can call. But then I thought, you know what? I, I'm here, I can do it. I've seen this done. And so I said, hey, can we fill up the tank in the sanctuary? And they're like, yeah, let's do it. I'm like, all right, we're gonna, I'm gonna baptize my, this is incredible. And so we go over there and we get into the water, just fully clothed, you know, like we're going in and I'm about to baptize this woman. And I realize I, you're supposed to say something. And I had no idea what I was supposed to say. I was like racking my brain. And this is my moment. It's like everybody, it's like, I'm supposed to say something. Oh no. And so I just said the first thing that came to my head. I said, by the power vested in me. And I realized, oh no, that's from a wedding. That's a wedding. But I said it already, so I had to go with it, you know? So I was like, by the power vested in me, by the state of Oregon, and as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I now pronounce you baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You know, I just went with it. It was my very first one. And guys, I was hooked. I was hooked. When you, do, when you participate in your first baptism, you're hooked. You never wanna do anything else with your life. Because when you just are a part of that moment and it's like, man, this is like death turning into life. It's like, oh, God, I can't believe, it. that's like a miracle and you're doing it right now. Like, you know, you've done it in me. And so now it's like, we get to be a, be a part of death becoming alive in our world. I mean, that's so, so incredible. He gives us a new life. By the way, if you haven't been water baptized yet and you follow Jesus, get water, let's get you baptized. So, so beautiful. The last thing is this, is he gives us a new kind of freedom. He gives us new freedom. Remember what it says? It says that we're free from accusation. Remember that? And then uh, in chapter two, verse 13, it says that, that when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive in Christ. And he forgave us all of our sin, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He's taken it away and he nailed it to the cross. Man, there's just like this new kind of freedom that we get that I am not condemned because of my sin. Think of all the movies that you've seen where somebody's accused of a crime and what do they gotta do? They gotta like hightail it and run. They gotta go into, they gotta go into hiding. They gotta go live in a cabin in Canada. You know, I feel like I've seen eight movies where that happens. You know, because you, they're after you and they're gonna come get you for your crime. And so you have to, you have to hide. And then, and then like at every point you're looking over your shoulder. Every time you go to the grocery store, do you think that there's gonna be an ambush? I mean, it's just like, it's just so exhausting living that way. Just wondering like, are they gonna come get me? Am I gonna have to pay for what I've done today? And the good news is that in Christ, in Christ, you are free from accusation. You're free from accusation. That he paid for it on the cross. Guys, this is incredible. This isn't just like theology. This is like substance. Like this is who you are. This is who I get to be, free from accusation. That the, that the charge of legal indebtedness, this thing that I'm supposed to pay, that it was nailed to the cross and I no longer have to pay it. Picture that. Just imagine if we just all let that sink to the very bottom of who we are that you realize that there is just no condemnation in Jesus, that there's freedom that he gives, that his grace is sufficient and his grace is enough. Imagine, imagine. But look what Paul says next, because Christy read this earlier, but remember it says, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, 
And now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish, free from accusation. And then he says this, and then he says, if you, and that's the moment where we're like, oh, I knew it was too good to be true. Oh, I knew there was a, a catch. Man, like it just sounded so good, you know, that all of this, but then it's like, there's, there's like, there's, an asterisk, you know, there's a, there's an, if you, oh man, okay, what am I going to have to do for this? And it's not what you think. It is not what you think. Look at what he says next. He says, if you continue in your faith, established and firm and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. He says, here's what I want you to do. I just want you to, I just want you to continue. I just want you to stay. This isn't works. This isn't like, try to be good enough for God, try to earn my own righteousness. This is like, no, God's righteousness has been given to you. His holiness has been bestowed on you. An incredible gift. You are free from accusation. How incredible is this? And now what do I have to do? I just have to, I just have to hold on to it. I just have to like continue in it. And in some ways, this is kind of, I picture Paul, you know, like when you tell a dog, like, not that like we're dog, you know, the, this illustration is breaking down already. But like when, when, when you tell a dog, like, just, just sit and stay, sit and stay. I just feel like, what, what have we got to do for this incredible promise? I just feel like God's saying, just, just stay, just stay, just continue, just keep, keep going, hold on to it. Don't let it go. There's going to be pressure to let go. There's going to be pressure to trade it for something else that you think is better, but, but don't, don't. Nothing's better than this. Trust me, just, just hold on to it. That's what we get to do. So we just get to hold on to it. The Colossians were, were tempted to trade this incredible promise for all sorts of things. And just like they were tempted to trade it for other things, just like they had opposition, we have opposition too. And just as I close, and, and in fact, band, why don't you guys come back up? Because we're going to respond. Um, but there's, uh, just, just like the Colossians, even today, there's forces that are trying to disciple us away from and form us away from this, this narrow way of Jesus, where we get to walk in this new identity, where we get to walk in this, this new freedom. Um, we get to walk in truly in this adoption that he has, that he secured for us. Um, two, two, kind of, two kinds of op- opposition. Sometimes the opposition is going to be obvious and strong. Sometimes the opposition is going to be obvious and strong. So just like the Colossians, there were certainly people in their day that looked at those Colossians and said, you guys are worshiping like this Jesus fellow? Wasn't he like a failed Messiah from like from Jerusalem somewhere? Didn't he die? Like, what are you doing? Like pledging your allegiance to that guy. I mean, we've got Caesar. Caesar, like versus Jesus, like, come on, you know who's gonna win that battle. I mean, like Caesar's Lord. I mean, there's all sorts of people that looked at the Colossians and they said, you guys are nuts. You're not just nuts, you're idiots. You're idiots for believing that. And just like them, sometimes the opposition is gonna be strong. Sometimes in your, in, in, in your world, the the the, the the pressure to just trade Jesus for your job is going to be really strong. The pressure to trade Jesus for some experience is going to be really strong. 
And there's certainly going to be people that come around in your, in your life and they're going to say, you're, you're an idiot for trusting and following Jesus. You're an idiot. And then there's going to be another kind of opposition. Another kind of opposition is going to be um, not obvious and strong, but it's going to be less obvious and subtle. It's going to be less obvious and subtle. There's going to be people that come into your life and they're going to say, oh, I am so glad that you have met Jesus. That sounds so great for you. I'm glad that's working for you. Um, can you just like not take it so seriously though? Like just don't get too overboard with this whole Jesus thing. Like I'm glad like you found meaning in your life and I'm glad that it, you know, it's, it's, that sounds so great for you, but just, just kind of like don't, don't go too far. And do you know, why that's such bad advice is because what does it look like when we don't take Jesus seriously? What does it look like when we don't take Jesus seriously enough? I'll tell you what it looks like. The disaster of the American church right now. That's what it looks like. The disaster of the American church is when we don't take Jesus too seriously. When we just, when we just, you know, just give him a little bit. Do you know, you know what it looks like when you take Jesus seriously, it looks like Mother Teresa, just gushing with compassion and grace and firm conviction, yes, yet filled with compassion. That's, when, that's what happens when you take Jesus seriously. There's gonna be all sorts of opposition. And so we have to, we're, we're gonna be just like them. We're gonna have to do the same things that those Colossians did. We're just gonna have to just hold on, just hold firm. He's given you this new identity. He's given you this new life that you are, you are not accused anymore of your crime. Jesus paid for it all. He's given you a new hope. He's given you a new life. He's given you a new future. He's given you a new, a new freedom. Don't let, don't let anything take it away from you. It's just too precious. And when you fail, guess what? He's there. He's there. He loves you. His, you're, you're clothed in his holiness. You're clothed in his, in his righteousness. It's okay. It's okay. Just give, give, just trust him even more. Just give more of your life to him. I think Paul needed to remind the Colossians of all of this stuff, even though they like knew it in their head, but he knew that they need to be reminded of it because we forget it all the time. And I, I think I do too. And I think sometimes you might as well. So I'm just reminding you tonight, you are adopted in Jesus, that you are not condemned in Jesus, that his His grace is enough for you. That, that even though he knows you to the very bottom, he loves you to the very top. Did you, do you know that? Do you know that? Do you know that you've been adopted into his family and you did nothing to, to deserve it? But he loves you. His righteousness is now surrounding you that you get to be clothed in his righteousness. Do you, do you know that? I hope, I want you to. Westside, I want us to. Westside, I hunger for us to know that. And not just to know it, but to like walk in it, to just live it out. What would it look like if a group of people just, just walked around knowing that Jesus has done that for us? Man, it would change us. It would change us. It would pepper every conversation you had. It would pepper how you treat others. It would pepper everything you do with your money. It would pepper everything that you do with, with your time. It would, just, it would just invade every part of our lives. Because remember, Jesus didn't come just to give us a little pep in our step. And he didn't come just to like help us with that midterm. And he didn't come just to like make mean people nice. He came to give us new hearts. He came to give us new lives. He came to adopt us into his family and make us new. Let's walk in it. 
I'm gonna invite us to, we're gonna sing and we're gonna respond tonight. Um, we're just gonna sing a few songs. And, and, you know, you might feel this pressure like, oh, church is done now. Like, are we done? No, 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 because the Lord's available in these moments. You realize that? The God of heaven, he's available in these moments. I just don't want you to miss out. I don't know what business you need to, to, to do with him. Maybe there's just a wrestling that needs to take place because you wrestled with this idea that he loves you for a long time and it's just hard for you to fathom. Maybe, maybe that's where you need to sit tonight. Um, maybe, maybe, maybe there's like anger at God for something that's happened in the past and you just need to like do a little, do a little, little working out with that tonight. Maybe that might be what you need to do in these moments. Or, or maybe just this idea that you've, he's, been a, he's adopted you into his family. Like you just need to like bring it in you. You just need to get it deeper in you. And so there's a couple things that we're gonna do. Uh, there's gonna be a few people standing over here by the prayer sign. I would love to pray with you. In fact, prayer, prayer team, whoever you are, come on up. Just come on up over there, even while we're singing. Like this is the highlight of their week. They would love to pray with you. You don't even have to tell them all the stuff. I mean, you can just say, yeah, would you just pray for me? Because I'm just wrestling with, with something and they would love to pray with you. Don't pass up that opportunity. Over here, there's communion on either side of the room. This is this ancient meal that we get to come back to. It's this picture of God giving his life for us and filling us with his presence and with his peace and with his hope. And so maybe just while we sing, you wanna come take communion, take it back to your seat. Maybe you wanna stand and sing really loud. Maybe you wanna get on your knees and just be really quiet. Maybe you just need to like take in the words. I don't know what you need to do or how you need to respond tonight, but can we respond? Let's respond. Father, we worship you and we respond to you. And we just pray that in this moment, in these moments, Lord, that we would come to you. And then Lord, you would do exactly what we need. Lord, you would convict us. You would push us into new territory. Lord, that you would whisper your truth to us that you love us and that you've adopted us and that your righteousness is ours and that you would just speak those things to our hearts and it would not just go into our heads, but it would fill our very souls. We pray these things as we respond in Jesus' name.